Good morning. As Steve said, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace. Specifically, I am downtown at our downtown congregation, and we meet on Sunday evenings. But I am honored to be here and open up God's Word with you this morning. If you have been with us, uh, we are going through the book of Jonah. If you have not, we are ready for chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 3. Do you want to let you know that at the end of the service, we will be participating in communion together? Uh, this is during our live stream hour, so I want to let the folks on the live stream no, go ahead and grab some elements to do communion at home. And at the end of the service, we will do those. If you are here in person and you already have the elements, you may want to start opening those because it takes 27 to 30 minutes to get that open. <laughs> uh, the little communion K-cup takes some time to open. So um, you may want to get started on that. But before we get to that, we have some things to see from God's word. So would you pray with me as we turn to Jonah 3? Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Father, part of what we see in the book of Jonah is the miracle that you speak to your people. God, not only do you speak to us, but we see this morning that you speak a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a hundredth time, even after we have already blown it. This morning, God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in speaking to us. And we want to say, speak for your servants are listening. Father, thank you for speaking through your word and your spirit and your people. And we pray that you would speak very specifically to each one of us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been given a second chance? Let me rephrase that. When have you been given a second chance? Because we have all been given second chances, third chances, multiple chances, maybe by those that love us, but specifically God continues to give us second chances. Well, here today we see that Jonah gets a second chance in Jonah chapter 3. And If you've been following along with us through this series, you know that Jonah needed a second chance. We see in Jonah chapter 1, God called Jonah to go and share God's word with the Ninevites, a people that were a pagan and Gentile people, a violent people, a people that had been violent towards Jonah's people, the Jewish people. And Jonah heard the clear call of God and went in the opposite direction. He got on the first ship to the end of the world that he could find and ran as far away from God as he possibly could. As he's going in the opposite direction, as he is on that ship towards Tarshish, there is a storm. Jonah says, it's because I've disobeyed God. The sailors throw him in the ocean and we see he gets swallowed up by this whale. He knows that he has run from God. He knows he deserves judgment. But after a little while, he realizes, wait a minute. Maybe God is at work here because I'm still alive. If you heard a few weeks ago, as Pastor Brooks talked about the guy recently, the lobster uh, fisherman that got swallowed up by a whale, uh, after 30 seconds, he thought, I'm going to die. And then he started to think, well, maybe I'm going to make it. And he got spit up. Well, Jonah, after 30 seconds or an hour or 10 hours or a day, started to get the picture, maybe God's at work here. And maybe God is going to extend mercy to me. And so he cries out to God. The whale spits him up on the side of the sea. And here we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3. So Jonah 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's stop right there. And let's marvel at the grace of God that he spoke to Jonah a second time. This guy has proven that he is not obeying the word of God, that he is more concerned with his comfort than doing the word of God, that he is willing to run in the opposite direction and do the exact opposite of what God has says. And yet we find here that God 
speaks to Jonah a second time. It's amazing that God speaks in the first place. It's even more amazing that he continues to speak to his people, even when they turn a deaf ear to him or they turn and go in the opposite direction of what he clearly tells them to do. I just want to take a moment here and say that for some of us here this morning, God is trying to speak to us even right now, but we feel like we don't deserve to hear it. So we start to hear the whisper or the voice of God through the word or through the spirit or through his people, through the sermon on Sunday morning, through a worship song, through nature itself. We start to hear the voice of God, but we immediately tune it out because we think we're unworthy. We see here in Jonah that the word of the Lord speaks, and sometimes he even speaks again out of his grace and mercy. So let's see what happens. God says the same thing. He says in chapter one, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you, this is the same message that he has given in chapter one, and he fails to do the right thing. He is given here basically the exact same verbiage. He is being told to do exactly what he has already been called to do. So let's see what happens. Verse three, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Hooray! The man of God finally does what he's supposed to do. He arises just like he did the first time in chapter one. But in this this instance, he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. So this time he rises up and instead of walking in the opposite direction, he goes towards the Ninevites, towards those violent people that hated him and his people. He obeys the word of the Lord. It says he goes according to the word of the Lord. And that's what obedience is by definition. It is hearing and knowing the word of God and then doing it. Before Jonah knew what he was supposed to do, but that's not obedience. Here in chapter three, we see what obedience looks like. It's knowing the word of the Lord and then doing the word of the Lord. Then we're told that Nineveh was exceedingly great, three days journey in breadth. Now, the commentators and theologians and historians have a little bit of debate about exactly what is being said here. There's really two options, and that that should be clear to us as we read this, that either Nineveh was three days wide, that you couldn't walk across it in three days, That's one option. Or that it took three days to get there from where Jonah was starting out. It could go either way in the language. It's not clear. The first one we can probably rule out because a three days walk journey is about from here to Des Moines. We can be pretty sure that Nineveh wasn't quite that big. Or it was a three days journey to get there for Jonah. Either way, the point of it is that Nineveh was not a small little town. It wasn't a little village. It was a major city. It was the capital of Assyria. And if you've read your Bible or studied ancient history, Assyria was a big deal. And this is the capital city. Nineveh is a great city, an influential city, a violent city as well. Look with me at verse four. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Exclamation point, end quote. Can we just stop and say that this is not a great sermon? (laughs) 
He goes into town. It says he goes a day's journey into town. So he's in town. He's in the depth of the city. And his message is yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We have no doubt since we're told in God's word that he was obeying God. So this is what God told him to say. We also probably know that this is a summary statement of his sermon. But I think we can all be on the same page. Not the best sermon. Not the best sermon. This is one aspect of what God wanted to do with the Ninevites, but it's just part of it. It's us when we capture part of what God wants to do or part of the gospel, and we just say that. It is someone standing on the street corner yelling or holding a sign that says, repent or you're going to go to hell. Okay, true story, but maybe incomplete. That's, that's the snippet that we get of Jonah's sermon here. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Well, here's the craziest part. Not that Jonah's sermon was so bad, but that the Ninevites believed. It actually worked. The people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This idea and this action of putting on sackcloth, of fasting, this is the way Near Eastern ancient cultures lamented when something hard happened. This is the way they mourned over their circumstances, over the death of a loved one. This is the way God's people in the Old Testament lament over their sin and their circumstances. In 40 different occasions in the Old Testament, we see God's people, pagan kings, all kinds of people putting on sackcloth. And if you're not familiar with sackcloth, it's not comfortable. It's not soft cotton like we wear. It's supposed to rub and be abrasive on the skin to remind people of their sin, to lament and mourn death and sin. And they fast, and we're going to see the king sits in ashes. These are all pictures of a people that is lamenting what God is about to do among them. But we're told that they believed God. They believed God. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. We get a picture here of even the beast of the field, the least, all the way up to the king is lamenting over the message that they had heard. And they believed that God would do what Jonah said that God would do. Here in the Ninevites, we see the opposite of what we saw in Jonah in chapter 1. They hear the word of God and they believe it. And from that comes a response to what they have heard. We see that the totality of Nineveh believes that God says he is going to overturn Nineveh or turn upside down Nineveh. In the Hebrew, it means they're going to be turned upside down and that things are about to change and that God wants them to stop their violence. This is what the beginning of revival looks like when a mass of people, a group of people believe God that he is going to do what he says he is going to do. We see here even a vivid picture of the animals 
taking on sackcloth and ashes. We're told in Romans 1 that creation itself groans under the weight of sin. That's what we're seeing here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 9. This is from the king of Nineveh. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here in this little question, this two-word question, who knows? We see the king of Nineveh have a spirit about him that Jonah failed to have in Jonah's chapter 1 and 2. Here we see the king of Nineveh not falling into the sin of presumption. See, one of Jonah's many sins was the sin of presumption, thinking he knew how God was going to behave, thinking he knew what God's plan was. That was Jonah's plan or problem from the beginning. As we open up the book of Jonah, we see God tell Jonah to do something that does not fit into Jonah's presumptions of how God works. Because Jonah is a Jew, God's chosen people. And he believes that God chose the Jewish people and he is going to save the Jewish people and he is going to condemn the Gentiles, the people that are not God's people. And so when God tells him to go and preach to the Ninevites, he knows that God will save some of the Ninevites and he's not happy. He presumes that he knows what God wants and how God is going to act. But here we see a mighty, violent, Gentile, pagan king that before this day didn't give a rip what the God of the Jews said, say, who knows? Maybe God is good enough that if we repent, he will relent of this violence against us. This posture that the king takes is the posture that Jonah needed in chapters 1 and 2. Jonah, like we so often are, are guilty of the sin of presumption, presuming to know the heart of God. And often when we do so, we are very far away from the heart of God. Let's see God's response. We've seen the Ninevites' response. Let's see God's response. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented or turned or changed the course of action. He relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relents of his plan of destruction against the Ninevites because he sees the city-wide turning from their violent ways, lamenting over their sin and over their violence and over their hate. He sees this turning, and so God turns his wrath away from them. He turns his wrath away from them as a measure of common grace. He is allowing them to live. He is allowing them to continue as a society so that some may be saved. Now, it would be presumptuous of us to say that because of this, all the Ninevites were saved and all the Ninevites are going to be in the kingdom with us one day. That would be presumptuous. But it seems that among the Ninevites, God was giving them more time to give their full life and full devotion to God. God is pouring out his grace and his mercy, his common grace on this pagan people that before now hated God and his people. So what can we learn from Jonah chapter 3? There's a lot of moving parts going on here, but this is an important 
chapter for us to meditate on as the people of God, as we prepare our hearts to be on mission. There are many reasons why we don't share the good news. There are many reasons where we don't live on mission. There are many reasons why we even need to do something like the campaign we are doing. But the first thing that we need to address is what's going on in our own hearts. And we see some things in Jonah chapter 3 going on in Jonah's heart. We see the way God operates, and we start to get some glimpse at what it looks like to be a good news people. So we're going to get very practical here this morning, and we are going to talk about why we don't share the good news of the gospel and some ways that we should go about sharing the good news of the gospel. This Jonah chapter 3 will be very instructive and have lots of application for us. So first, why don't we share the good news? First, we are waiting for us to be good. We are waiting to be good. Once I'm good enough, once I believe enough, once I understand enough, once I can articulate well enough, then I will share the good news. Once I'm sanctified, once I know all the answers, when I understand all the arguments, or until this life situation changes, or until I have a bigger house, or until I move to this neighborhood, or until my kid graduates college, or until I get out of school, we have all these reasons why we're not going to share the good news. And ultimately, we're waiting for ourselves to get to the right place. Once I'm sanctified, once I get it, then I can share the good news with others. Once I know every argument that I can fight against with the gospel, then I will share the good news. First off, we see in Jonah that that is not the case. Jonah is still kind of a mess. And if you need more information on that. Keep coming back over the next couple of weeks as we look at Jonah chapter 4. See, the kids' Bibles end right here, but the Bible Bible doesn't. There's a chapter 4, and it shows that there's still some yuck in Jonah's heart. God didn't wait till Jonah had cleaned up his act to use Jonah. He used Jonah right in the midst of his presumption, his hatred, his sin, and his rebellion. And he turned a kingdom upside down through his words. Secondly, we can't wait until we are good because you never will be. The good news of the gospel is this. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. The good news of the gospel is that spiritually we lay dead in a grave and Jesus pulled us up out of the grave and gave us spiritual life. The good news of the gospel is that we have a heart of stone and God, through the miracle of the gospel, takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh where we are pliable and humble to the things of God. The good news of the gospel is that he saves us and then he goes about changing us. I don't know about you, but I brought a truckload of junk into the kingdom with me. And many, many, many years later, God is still working through that junk. The good news of the gospel is not that we are good, but that we serve a good God. The good news of the gospel is that we deserve death, but Jesus dies in our place. If we wait to be good, we will never share the good news at all. As we take communion today, some of you will be tempted not to participate because of what you have done. Jesus says, come, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you redemption. I will give you salvation. So don't wait until you're good. Know that Christ is good already. Second mistake we make is we wait for them to be good. We wait for the culture, the pagans, those people, those outside the kingdom. We wait for them to clean up their act. Once they look like me, vote like me, understand theology like me, speak like me, don't do that and do this, then maybe they'll want to come to church with me. Folks, as we just learned, that's not the way it worked for us. And that's not the way it's going to work for them either. Our culture is not going to clean up their act and then decide to come to church. The Spirit of God is going to move among those who are outside the kingdom. He's going to take the blinders off their eyes. They're going to see the good news of the gospel. They're going to come into the kingdom, come into the church, come into our lives, and they're going to have the same truckload of junk to work through that you and I do, and we can help them as Christ helps us. We can't wait for our culture to be good. We need to share the good news of the gospel and we need to talk about the only one who is good, Christ. We need to talk about God's great love for us and for them. We can't wait. As we open this up, the book of Jonah, we see the human, fallen, fleshly prophet who thinks he's big and God brings him low. And then we see the king who thinks he's great and history calls great be brought low by the Lord. When we humble ourselves before God, he does a miraculous work in us. So that's what needs to happen in our lives. That's what needs to happen in our culture's life. People need to humble themselves before God and then God will change them day by day just as he is for us. So why don't we share the good news of the gospel? Number three, we forget the good news. Now, I'm not talking about cognitively here. I'm not saying we cognitively can't remember what the good news is. But we go about our lives and we get caught up in what the Apostle Paul calls civilian affairs. We get caught up in the kingdom of man. We get caught up in the kingdom of flesh. We get caught up in the kingdom of comfort and ease and building our little kingdom. And we start living for our kingdom come instead of his kingdom come. And we forget that the gospel is good news and that it has the power to change lives. We get caught up in the everyday And we say, maybe tomorrow I will share the good news. Or maybe tomorrow I will open up my Bible. Or maybe tomorrow I will grow in my faith. And then tomorrow never comes. Because today has enough trouble of its own. There is constantly something to distract us from remembering the good news of the gospel. And in order to share the good news, we have to remember that it's good news in the first place. Pastor Tim Keller says that there's two main reasons that we don't share our faith. One, maybe we don't have enough friends. We're going to actually address that here in a little bit. We'll see if we can't get us all some friends. Uh, But the second thing is, if you have friends, we don't believe that the good news is really good. We forget that it's good news. And then we forget that our culture has nothing but bad news at every turn. Everywhere we look, there's bad news. But in God's word and in the gospel, we find good news. And as we remember what Christ has done, 
We remember that it was good news for us first and we'll want to share it with others. Lastly, why don't we share the good news of the gospel, comfort and ease. We're going to talk more about this next week as we talk about what happens in chapter four, but out of comfort and ease, we don't share the good news. It is just more comfortable and easier to not do it, we think. But here's the problem. Jonah did what he thought was most comfortable and most easy because he knew that God would save Solomon among the Ninevites and it sounded scary to him and he didn't like it and it didn't fit his presumptions. So he went the opposite way from God's plan and he thought he was going towards comfort and ease and ended up in the belly of a whale. Our flesh and the devil and the world lie to us about what will be easy and comfortable. And as we do, we get further and further away from true joy. And in this world that we find ourselves in, you can probably somewhere someday find comfort and ease, but you won't find joy. Joy and peace and true love is found in the good news of the gospel. And if we are seeking comfort and ease, we will not obey when God says, go to the Ninevites. We moved to a new neighborhood in October because of winter and COVID. It was really hard to get to know people. We're now, as the weather is changing and people feel more comfortable interacting, we're starting to meet more of our neighbors. As I look at our neighborhood, as I pray for our neighborhood, there are two families that seem most ready to hear the good news and seem uh, like there's the most opportunity for us to share with and spend time with. One neighbor is right next door. Um, They were born in America. They have the same skin color as us. We have heard from mutual friends that they have some religious affiliation. They have two boys and we have four boys. They have an American Ninja Warrior course in their backyard and a basketball goal. That's one family. There's another family down the street and around the corner. Uh, They come from another country. I think that the parents speak very little uh, English. Uh, I have gotten nothing going with the dad as he walks by our house. I see them every day, but they're down and around the corner and it's going to be uncomfortable. Which family do you think is most likely for us to spend time with? It's the one next door. I can stand on my porch. I don't even have to put shoes on. We have religious things to talk about. There won't be any misunderstandings due to language. They've been nice to me already. That's where I'm most likely to go. But putting shoes on and going down the big hill that I'm going to have to walk back up and talking to the family where there's going to be a language barrier that has just not wanted to have anything to do with us, that... I don't know. That doesn't sound comfortable or easy. I'm getting off on the wrong foot, even thinking that way. My prayer should be, God, where are you at work and how can I be a part of it? So these are the reasons we don't share the good news. So how do we share the good news of the gospel? First, we obey God's word. It's great to do evangelistic series. It's great to have a sermon series where you can intentionally invite your friends and know what they're going to hear. It's great to be mobilized to share our faith. It's great to be trained in how to do friendship evangelism. It's great to do this concerted effort together as a church. But honestly, this is all we need. God's word. Because from cover to cover, we see that God 
is on a mission building his kingdom. And he is redeeming some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, and he invites us into his kingdom work. He invites us into the kingdom of light and truth and good news, and he says, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. Now go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, baptizing them. He gives us his spirit. He says, go. He says, speak the good news. Show the good news. Love so liberally the seeds of the gospel. He tells us cover to cover what he wants us to do. And then we say, well, I just, I haven't heard from God. God has been clear in his word. We need to know his word and obey his word and we will get a sense of what he wants us to do and our hearts will be changed and we, our hearts will start to look more and more like Christ's. And our heart will be for the kingdom of God. And I'll stop thinking about which neighbor is most convenient and comfortable to share with and I will instead listen to the heart of God because I believe when I read his word that he's speaking I want to hear from his spirit and his word and his people, and I want to know what he's asking me to do. Second, when we hear God's voice, don't run. Don't run from God. There is joy and fruit that comes from obeying God instead of running in the opposite direction. Theologian Rosemary Nixon says, when God tells his people to go, he is already where he is sending them. When God tells his people to go, he is already at work there. We need to obey the word of God and not run from God when he calls us to go. Third, we need to open our mouth. We need to open up our mouth and speak the words of the good news. We need to open our mouth and ask people questions about their life and take an interest in them instead of assuming we know their background because of their skin color or their language or their socioeconomic status. We need to open our mouth and talk with people and listen to what they have to say and look for opportunities to share the good news. Often we don't open our mouth because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. I'm just going to dismiss that fear. You will. You're going to say the wrong thing. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your wise and persuasive words. It's about the spirit taking your voice and using it. You know what God is looking for? Humble willingness. Humble willingness. If you are humble and you are willing and you open your mouth, he will fill your mouth with the words you need to say. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, even when the rulers of the synagogues pull you in front of them and put you on trial, don't prepare a sermon in advance. Don't meditate on what you will say. The spirit will give you the words to say. We see here in Jonah, we can give an average at best sermon and God can use it for his purposes. I've had the honor and privilege of preaching here and at the downtown church over the course of the last nine years. And let me tell you, I've preached some stinkers. Some of you are like, I can testify. I was there. I know. Sometimes I wasn't prepared enough. Sometimes my heart wasn't in the right place. Sometimes I was tired from other responsibilities. Sometimes I didn't feel well or my voice wasn't physically strong enough. And after those clunker sermons, inevitably, someone will come up to me with tears in their eyes and say, your words changed my life. I'm like, oh, great. 
I've had other sermons that I'm like, that was the best sermon I have ever given. Not only so, that is the greatest sermon in the history of Grace Community Church. (laughs) Sorry for the confessional here. And not a word from anyone. Not a text, not a thank you, nothing. It's like, why am I even here? Why did I do this? It's not about our words. It's not about our eloquence. It's about the Spirit of God taking our words and doing miracles with our words. Jonah didn't have the ability to overturn Nineveh, but God did. Lastly, we need to pray that God would take these feeble words, these humble efforts, these broken hands, and use them for his purposes. The good news of the gospel is that you are not ready to be used by God. But God wants to do a work through you, and he is waiting for you to just be humble and say, here I am, send me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? We are intentionally, over the summer, we're training our community group leaders now, and we will continue to train the church through an acronym called BLESS. It's just a simple way of remembering how to do lifestyle and friendship evangelism with those in our family, community, workplace, school, world. And the first letter is B, and it stands for begin with prayer. We have to begin with prayer. We have to ask the Spirit of God to be at work, and we can just go along for the ride. We need to ask God to save. We need to ask God to bring revival. We need to ask God to overturn kingdoms. We need to ask God to unblind eyes. Only the Spirit of the living God raises the dead. He just invites us to be a part of it. So we need to pray. Zechariah chapter 8, we get a beautiful picture of what the city of God looks like. Nineveh was a city full of violence and hate. The city of God is a place of peace. In Zechariah 8, we see Jerusalem, the city of God, be called a place of shalom, a place of peace, a place where God's kingdom has come and is coming. We see a city of fruitfulness where we are benefiting, the people of God are benefiting from that obedience and seeing peace and love and joy in their city. We see that the presence of God is in the midst of that city where his people are obeying him. And then we see boys and girls running in the street in safety and in joy and at play. This is what the city of God looks like. And then at the end of Zechariah chapter 8, it says that 10 men, meaning one from every known people group, one from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will come and grab onto the cloak of God's people and say, we want to go where you are going. The first fulfillment of this happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, where the Spirit fell and people from multiple different people groups heard the good news of the gospel in their language. And we saw this massive revival among people from Gentile people groups coming to faith in Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of this is at the wedding supper of the Lamb in the New Jerusalem when some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will bow before the throne at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I believe that what God's word says is that as his kingdom is coming and as his spirit lives among his people, God wants to see this kind of people and this kind of revival in our time. 
as we live as a people of peace, as we live as a city that is benefiting from the fruit of obedience, as we remember the presence of the living God living among us, as we remember what the good news is and we open our mouths and we demonstrate the good news, we will see the kingdom come. And we will see people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people say, I want what you've got. Not because you are good, but you know good news that I've only dreamed about. This is what God is doing in our world, and he invites us to be a part of it. We want to, as Pastor Steve said, we want to have a summer of mobilization where we are preparing our hearts where we are preparing our minds, our hands, our feet to go wherever God may call us. Part of that is an initiative on July 18th where we are canceling all of our services at both locations and we are serving our city. We are demonstrating the good news of the gospel instead of gathering here uh, for service. We want to go and be the church and put our faith into action in our community. We're going to check out a quick video and then I'll tell you how you can get involved on July 18th. Hey everybody, July 18th is going to be an incredible day. We are canceling services here at North Liberty and that evening we'll also be canceling services downtown. Why are we doing that? We're canceling the services at the church that we can go out and serve. We want to serve and love and bless our community. The day is going to be called Faith in Action, and it's going to be an opportunity simply for us to come together as a church and to love on our community in specific, strategic ways. The church isn't just simply a building. In fact, you can't have that definition and understand it scripturally at all. The church actually is, uh, as Jesus would say, it's the ecclesia, the called out ones. And we're called out from where we were to be part of his kingdom building program. So on a very specific way, on July 18th, what we're going to be doing is serving our city, loving our city by our actions with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a number of ways that we'll actually be doing this. One way is several community groups are going to be working together where they found their own projects and uh, they, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, firstly, and secondly, at Grace Community Church, are going to be loving and blessing on their neighborhood. Uh, an example of that would be some people are going to be hosting backyard Bible clubs, and uh, we can certainly get you involved with some of those community groups, as well as other standalone projects that we're looking forward to having as a congregation. Things that we can do to bless uh, both our city and our area of ministry partners. Uh, we're going to come together, roll up our sleeves, and enjoy a day of serving together. It should be a fantastic day where people can start seeing that the people of God are folks that really actually care about them because God so loved the world. And so uh, we just get a chance to extend that in a natural way together. So hopefully you can join us July 18th. Uh, we're not going to have a service anyway, so hopefully you come out with us, serve. Let's share the love of Jesus authentically, passionately, and enthusiastically. There's going to be a website up on the screen. Uh, if you even want to pull out your phone now and type in that address so you don't forget to do so later, uh, we really would ask that you would sign up in advance and let us know that you're going to be participating so we can send the right people, the right amount of people out to these different projects that we're doing in the corridor area. So you can go to graceb3.org, FIA for Faith in Action, or you can search that 
phrase on our website, and you can sign up right there. So go ahead and pull out your phones and plug that in so you don't forget to do that later. But we have some other business to attend to now as we close our service with communion. Communion is a fitting close to the service because it is an opportunity to remember what Christ has done. If you grab the elements already, as I said, go ahead and start opening those. If you did not grab the elements, if you raise your hand right now, we have ushers that can bring you those elements. Here at Grace, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of Grace. You just have to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for the salvation of your sins. So go ahead and put your hand up high if you need those elements and the ushers will bring those to you. As I said, communion is a fitting conclusion today. We are told in the Gospels that Jesus, when he broke bread, when he instituted communion, he was reclining at the table with his disciples. That language of reclining, that's what kings would do when they had honored guests that they would share the table with. Jesus had called his disciples his honored guests. He served them. He washed their feet. He broke bread with them. All of them had already betrayed him in some ways. One of them on that very night would betray him, would go in the opposite direction of God's call, of God's word, and would give Jesus over to those who would crucify him. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and offered grace to his disciples, and he offers it to us today. Communion is an opportunity to remember physically what Christ has done for us. On the very night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup of the fruit of the vine and giving thanks, he said, this is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Would you stand with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Spirit, continue to speak. Your servants are listening. God, continue to use us to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, remind us of the beauty and the joy of simply obeying the word and the words of God. God, use us for your purposes and for your good name, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Go in grace. We'll see you next week.